0: Well, good morning, my name's Ben Biles, I am the college and young singles director at The Ridge and my wife Savannah and I, and you know her cause she was just singing up here earlier, she's great, uh, I think she's great, you think she's great, we all think she's great. Uh, we don't have, uh, we don't have any kids yet, yet, God willing one day we do, uh, but from the outside looking in, it seems like parenting can be really challenging, or at least it comes with its own unique set of challenges. And I've noticed on social media how some parents deal with that challenge. And here's a, here's a tweet, a pick from uh, Twitter, and it says this, I try really hard not to lie to my kids. Also me, we can't go to Disney World, it's locked. And we all hate when Disney World is locked, right? It's so disappointing. But here's another one, it says, uh, also from Twitter, I'm convinced, I've convinced my kids that they won't like Oreos because they're too spicy. And that is why I deserve to get some kind of parenting award. And I think uh, we all agree, the spice level of Oreos is, is pretty low. I mean, even Pastor Tim and Adam could handle that level of spice. Uh, and then this third, this third tweet says this, my five-year-old hasn't said a word in the car after I convinced him that the volume control on our stereo ejects his car seat. And I see this and I think, you know, as a parent, you, are a source, you're the source of truth for these kids, right, and and this world can be really confusing. Uh, And at an early age, you're trying to discern what is true from what is not in this world. And you really, as a child, rely on your parents, on teachers and sources of authority to be that truth, to to give you the truth that you can live with, that you can build off of, all of that. And without those sources of truth, you really feel lost. And I think even as adults, we can all agree that it's a very confusing time to be alive, right? Because we also live in this world where it's hard to discern what is true from what is not. And we're always constantly asking, what is true? Is this true? And how true is this? And I think we do this especially when when we are watching the news or any media. And I think with all these accusations of fake news, it's hard to know what true news is. And there's also been evidence of misinformation campaigns designed to fool people. And we're once again confused, like, is this real or is this not? How do we know the difference? And on top of that, we, as we navigate social media, like Facebook and Twitter, people can post whatever they want on there. And we're always left trying to figure out, well, is this true? Is what this person said actually true? And actually Facebook and Twitter now have fact-checking programs built into their software so that we can discern what's true. And even just recently watching the presidential vice-presidential debates, I'm I'm just left wondering like, what about this is true? Is this like 100% true? Is this kinda true, is this not true? It just gets to be a bit much. And it's not just politics and media either. We've all marveled at the discoveries of of modern science and what uh, they've discovered and how that helps us understand our world better, the world we live in, helps us give understanding to what we see and everything in it. But a 1,000 years ago, right, they thought they knew the truth about the world, they thought they knew how this world worked, and now, looking back on that, we know they were way off in a lot of ways. And so who's to say now that what we know about science will be true a 1,000 years from now? how do we know, how can we have confidence in that? And on top of all these, we struggle just in our own personal lives, right? We struggle knowing truth in the workplace, or at home, in our relationships, and even with ourselves oftentimes, right? Where we're asking or we're saying, uh, or what we're saying we're gonna do doesn't always match up with what we actually do. And I think even now in our contemporary culture, we're struggling to understand what truth even means in a culture where truth has now become relative, right? Truth has become relative, and what I mean by that is that the truth that I believe is good and fine, and the truth that you believe is good and fine, and they can completely conflict and contrast with each other, but because truth is relative to us, they're both true. And I know that doesn't make any sense, but, Truth in a relative world is defined by what you experience, and that experience defines what is true for you. Now one of my hobbies is that I roast my own coffee at home and I know that makes me kind of a snob and that's fine, that's fine. Uh, But when I do this, what I do is I get online, I order raw coffee beans, uh, they get shipped to me, I I get them, uh, they look great, I roast them. Uh, Why do I do that? Because I love fresh, delicious coffee. But every time I get these raw coffee beans, they always come in these bags. And every bag has a description of what the coffee should taste like. And here's one of those bags uh, right here. It says this on a description. It says, a thread of honey sweetness throughout. Floral-like, raw honey, whipped with the comb. Honey-sweetened black tea, creamy caramels, bright citrus notes, and a lemon-like acidic impression. I love these descriptions because it makes the coffee sound like a dessert. It makes it sound like super delicious and super great. Like you, you wanna drink coffee that tastes like honey, right? Or, or sweetened black tea or caramel or lemon, right? But I know that if I was to make this coffee for somebody, there's a 0% chance that that person's gonna taste it and be like, hmm, you know what? Yeah, is that, is that a... Is that raw whipped honey with, with the comb? Is that what I'm tasting? Is this, is this a lemon acidic impression I'm getting in this cup? I don't think that they would. And I know for my dad, who is a, a regular Folgers drinker, he would absolutely hate this coffee, right? Because to him, it just don't taste right. And I think in terms of, of coffee, in terms of taste, it's subjective, right? The truth is relative to what you're experiencing. So what you taste and what I taste can be different, and both can be different from what the bag describes it to be, but it's okay, right? And then for coffee, I think that's completely fine. The experience defines what is true. But the problem is we live in a world where foundational life truths are now thought of as relative. Where what I say is and believe is true about God can be different from what you say is true about God. And even if those truths are conflicting, somehow that's still okay. But when it comes to what we believe about God, there is no room for relative truth. And if you've ever read John fourteen six, you know this. It says this, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, so if Jesus really is the truth, if he really is the way, and if no one else can come to the Father except through him, that doesn't leave any room open for relative truth. So either Jesus is telling us the truth, or he's not. It can be relative But I think, honestly, the reality of our culture is that we've come to a place where we've just lost trust and institutions to tell us truth across the board, right? Uh, We've depended on ourselves instead and our experiences and established ourselves as the source of truth. So what, what we experience and what we decide is true becomes true, we become our own source of truth. And that creates problems. And it has led many to ask, well, if, if all truth is relative, is, is anything completely true? Like, can we know the truth, really, about family, about friends, about how marriage works, about how we're supposed to interact with culture, about how love works, or politics, or work? Can we know the truth about any of these things if we live in a world where the thinking of the day is that truth is relative? And I think the answer to any one of these questions is, it depends on your source of truth. Because if your source of truth depends on yourself and your own experiences and your own knowledge, then of of course truth would be relative, right? Because it's based on the things you've heard, seen, learned, all of that. And as you change and you shift over time and you change your mind about things, the truth is gonna change with you in those experiences. But if you believe in God, and you put God as your source of truth, then all the things that God says, all the things that God does, become the foundation upon which you can base all of your experiences and all of your knowledge and all the things you hear and see in culture. And because God never changes, then the truth, that foundation of truth that we set ourselves on is eternal, is absolute, is trustworthy, and is stable. we can trust in God and live with confidence, knowing that his truth gives our lives meaning. Now, King Solomon, and Tim mentioned him last week, one of the wisest men to ever live wrote in Proverbs, a lot of people's favorite verse in the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him in all your ways and he will guide you on the right paths. And I see this verse and I think, you know, even one of the wisest men to ever live tells us not to trust in our own understanding. I mean, if there's a guy who could rely on his own wisdom and understanding to figure out the truth in the world, it would be Solomon. But even he says, instead, trust in the Lord. And I mean, that is how you're gonna stay on that right path. Through the Lord's truth, he's gonna guide you on those right paths. And so we see that our understanding, I mean, it will shift and it will change, but God's truth is forever. And so my takeaway for today is that God is our source of truth. And what I mean by that is that all things from God are true. God himself is true. He is truth, he always speaks truth, and all his promises are true. But the question is, how do we know How do we know the truth of God? Like, even if God is true, like, I get that concept. Like, if there's a God, he probably is going to say true things. But how do we as humans know the truth of God? How has God communicated that truth to us? And so today we're going to talk about two things. Uh, God has revealed his truth primarily in two ways. And the first one is through his written word. Now, the Bible is a record, really, of what God has communicated to humanity uh, about himself and how he interacts with humanity and what he wants to come true for all of us. And we believe that everything in Scripture comes from God and can be trusted. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to his pastor friend Timothy in 2 Timothy, and he says this, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you and you know that from childhood, you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I see this and I love it because it tells us the whole, the Bible as a whole, The sacred scriptures are inspired by God. Our other translations say that all scriptures are breathed out by God, right? It's not that these writings descended from heaven, but that God chose certain people and gave them the words and they wrote it down and we have their writings today. And Paul tells Timothy, hey, you can trust this. This truth is is from God and it's useful in all these ways. You can base your training off of it. You can base all your correcting in the church, all your, all your rebuking, all your teaching can be based off this. And why is that? Well, because God gave his truth to men who wrote it down as God's word His revealed truth so that future generations would know the truth of God. And we have it today, right? When we open up scripture, we have the very truth of God at our fingertips. And I think that's amazing. And the Bible is this amazing collection of 66 books by 40 different authors across approximately 1600 years of history of how God created the world, of how he interacted with humanity since creation. And what I love is the Bible as a whole is united in purpose in explaining who God is, right? There's no books of the Bible that fight against each other saying, no, this is who God is. No, this is who God is. They're all united across 66 books, 40 authors, 1,600 years. All of it, united in purpose, explaining God's truth. And the reason we trust the words written in the Bible is because God is the source of its truth. But you might ask, but Ben, how do we know that the Bible is actually God's word, right? How do we know it's not just something invented by man? Because I've been in classes in college or I've seen stuff on YouTube across all kinds of media saying this book was just created by men, right? It's just uh, this invention that they had. And even if it is God's word, like, well, I'll grant you that. I'll, I'll say, okay, maybe it is God's word. But if it happened so long ago, how do we know we even have like the right Bible, right? Because 2000 years ago, they didn't have the printing press. They hand copied each one of the copies that would come to exist for centuries and centuries and centuries. How do we know what we have today is what, what they wrote back then? Like what if this is just some giant game of of telephone, right? That we used to play as kids where we'd sit around in a circle and uh, you would come up with the most like ridiculous sentence full of all kinds of nouns, verbs, modifiers, like this kind of almost a story in one sentence and you'd like whisper it to the person next to you and they'd try to remember it and then they'd whisper it to the person next to them and go on and on and on and on and on around the circle until the last person got the sentence and they'd say what they remembered. And across that transmission, things start to change, right? Because people can't remember perfectly what had been said, and it changes a little bit by a little bit by a little bit every time until you get to the end, and it's nowhere near what it started as, right? So how do we know the Bible is in the same way? We're from copy to copy to copy. It changed a little bit until it's completely changed now. Well, I want you to know that today you can have confidence in the consistency of Scripture. And one of the reasons you can have confidence is that we possess today thousands upon thousands of ancient copies of the Bible spanning those 2,000 years. It's so amazing. Like we have 5,000 copies of ancient manuscripts written in Greek, which is the original language the New Testament was written in. On top of that, we have 10,000 ancient manuscripts in Latin, and we got 10,000 more in various other languages. We have 25,000 copies of ancient manuscripts of the Bible that are all amazingly consistent with each other and with what we have today. And by contrast, you're like, okay, that sounds good. 25,000, that sounds like a... Good number, but how do we know that's enough? Well, by contrast, Julius Caesar wrote the Gallic Wars. We have 10 copies of that. 10 ancient copies of the things Julius Caesar wrote. The Greek philosopher Aristotle, we have five copies of ancient manuscripts of anything he's wrote, all right? You're like, okay, Julius Caesar, Aristotle, that's fine. What about historians, right? Surely their stuff would have been replicated. Well, if you take the five greatest Greek and Roman historians of all time, and of which we base most of what we know about the Greek and Roman history, we only have 400 copies of what they wrote. And what's so interesting is few people doubt that Julius Caesar existed, few people doubt that Aristotle wrote, few people doubt the history that we have of Greece and Rome. But if you're keeping track, right, 25,000 copies of Scripture compared to a little over 400 of those uh, ancient Greek and Roman guys, right? For uh, illustration, a pile of 400 manuscripts probably gets you like table high, right? If you stack them all up on top of each other, it probably gets you to here. But if you take 25,000 copies of ancient manuscripts, you get the Empire State Building three and a half times. So why do I say this? because I want you to have confidence that we have great evidence that the Bible has remained consistent throughout the centuries. And it's clear to us that God has actively preserved his word so that we could know it's truth. And that preservation becomes an invitation to know God and to know truth in scripture. And so the words Paul wrote to Timothy are true for us, us as well. And on top of that, like if you needed even more evidence, right, the Bible keeps record of itself, right? You got 40 authors across 66 books, and some of those books were prophetic, where God would appoint a prophet and tell him, hey, this is going to happen a few hundred years, I want you to write it down so that when it comes true, the people know that I'm telling the truth, that I'm really God, right? That I know the truth, not just about the past and the present, but about the future. And what we see and we find in the Old Testament are 48 major prophecies, And in addition to that, we got 300 minor ones, if you include those. Some of these are still waiting to come true. And most of those deal with end times, right? But many of these have already come true and are recorded in scripture hundreds of years after the prophecies were made, right? And once they recorded them, they can see this is how God knew what was gonna happen, right? He is true. And the things he says are true. The promises he makes are true. We can trust him. And I'm looking at some of these, and I just found a few prophecies just on the crucifixion of Christ. And it says, uh, in one place, it says, he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zachariah prophesied that in chapter 11. It comes true, right, and it's fulfilled. It's written about it, Matthew 26. It says in Psalm 22 that his hands and feet would be pierced. It's written about, it's confirmed true, Luke 23. Also said he would be crucified with thieves. Written about in Isaiah 53, and then found to be true in Matthew 27. And there's so much more than just these three. In fact, if you just read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53 alone, you're gonna get a ton of prophecies. You're like, whoa, this is mind blowing. And I encourage you to go check those out. But we know that if any one of these prophecies didn't come true, then we we would know that Jesus really wasn't the guy. We know he really wasn't the Messiah, the Christ. Because the Bible testifies to itself And we can cross-check the facts. And when we read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they're all so careful to record how prophecies come true. If you read the book of Matthew, he writes about it all over the place, right? So I hope next time you read those gospels, I hope you're like, oh man, prophecy, yes, the Bible's true. Because that's what it's meant to happen. That readers of scripture would be familiar with the Old Testament prophecies and say that was prophesied by God and now it's fulfilled. God is true and Jesus is also true. All that to say you can trust the Bible as the true word of God and through it you can know God and know the truth that changes lives. But I told you earlier that God has revealed two primary ways that he reveals his truth. Uh, We just talked about the written word but also he reveals his truth through the living word which is another title for his son, Jesus. And the Gospel of John starts out with this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And here John explains that Jesus is the word of God. He's in the beginning before all things and through him all things were made, right? The word of God came down and took on flesh and we know him as Jesus Christ, the son of God who is fully God and fully man. And John starts off with this, saying that Jesus is the word because he's the fullest expression of the invisible God. And God expresses the fullness of his character through Jesus, his son. And so this is how the Gospel of John starts off. And then John goes on to describe the person of Jesus Christ, describes his ministry, describes the things that he goes on to say and do, and how he died for our sins and rose again. And in John's gospel, Jesus states over and over again that he has come to reveal the Father. That he has come to do the will of his Father, that he's given the words from his Father to say, and he's here to say them. And I love that, because his whole life is centered on revealing the truth of God. And what I see from that is God wanted us to know his truth so badly that he came down himself. He sent his only son to tell us the truth about himself. And Jesus tells us this once again in John 14, six through seven. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In this verse, some people find it to be offensive, right? Because it runs counter to the relative truth thinking of the day. It's an offensive truth for some, that Jesus claims to be the only way to the Father. How can Jesus claim to be the only way to God? Right, what about all the other ways of thinking? What about all the other religions? Well, the reason he claims this is because Jesus is God, right? And the ultimate truth that God wanted to communicate to us was seen by Jesus Christ as he goes to the cross, that God so loved the world, that he loved you and me, that he sent his only son as a sacrifice for our sins, And that if we have faith in him, we find ourselves forgiven, redeemed, restored, and reconciled to a relationship with God. And as the truth of God, he opened up the way to God so that we could have life with God. And that's John 14, six. And that's the truth God wants to communicate above all others. And he does that by coming down to earth himself through his only son, the living word. And that's not offensive. That's a loving God reaching out to broken humanity and giving us a way to know him and be known by him. So what does all this mean for us today? Well, it means this. It means that his truth warrants our trust. That we can trust the way that God has communicated his truth, right? That he's preserved his truth across millennia. And we can trust that Jesus is the living word of God, that he's expressed the truth of God in his words, in his actions, and that he died and was resurrected. And my hope for you is that you would set God as your source of truth, that you would stop relying on your own understanding, like Solomon said, and experience to define truth for yourself, but believe in the truth that changes lives forever. That truth that gives us the firm foundation upon which we live and know God. And I think, man, we need this so, so badly. Like I said earlier, we live in a society where it's hard to know what truth really is. It sh- seems to shift and change. It's hard to define. And it's easy to get lost in there. And it's easy to lose hope in knowing or trusting what we know. But the good news for us is that we can rely on God's truth and live in peace of knowing his truth doesn't change. And where God's truth differs from where, what we hear around us in our culture, we can, we can take that and trust God's truth. Because what he says is real and eternal and never changing and what gives us life. I found this quote from Ernest Hemingway, a popular author. He said this, he said, the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. It seems so simple. The best way to find out you can trust somebody is to do it, right? To trust them. And I think about this and I think, you know our trust in God has never failed us. God has never lied to us, right? He's never promised something that he did not intend to come true or that did not come true. His truth warrants our trust. And so when I thought about this, I thought, you know, when we allow our identities to define what is truth, then the truth becomes a vehicle for our own agendas. But when we allow the truth to define our identities, then we become vehicles for God's agenda because God's truth changes everything. So then it's crucial for us as believers to read and understand the written word of God. If we want that firm foundation of truth, we have to be in scripture. I mean, why would you not? Right? How amazing is it that we have the words of God? How amazing is it that we can trust in what we have? And what can be more important than knowing God's truth? And just like Paul wrote to Timothy, right? It's not just for knowledge. It's not just for Bible quizzes or for facts, right? It leads us to understand what we've, where we've gone wrong and how God has made a way for us to come back to himself. Right, it's useful for salvation. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and all training in righteousness for all good works. And at the same time, it's crucial that we believe in the living word, the son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, that we could know God, that we can know the truth about what we're meant to be here for, that our purpose is found in knowing our creator and getting to know him better and better, because that's what eternal life really is. We grow in relationship with God and we understand his truth. And so today, you can have have confidence that God has given us his truth, and then that we put God as our source of truth. It changes everything. Let's pray. Father God, we're just so thankful that you were so careful across all these millennia to preserve your scripture for us, and that you've invited us to come know it to come understand it, to come listen to your truth. And in the scriptures, we find that Jesus Christ, you sent him also to reveal your truth. You sent your only son. And that the truth you communicated above all others was that you loved us enough to die for us. You died in our place for our sins. And we can know you through that. And I just ask for all the people listening that they wouldn't be confused or lose hope and what knowing what truth is. That despite what our culture says about how truth is relative, God, we know you are absolutely true. That we can depend on you and have confidence in what you say. And God, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.